Chapter 17 A Game of Red and Blue The concept of dueling is almost as old as magic itself. Some point to Urza and Mishra as the first magical duelist, and while this is tempting, it should be noted that they fought with armies and artifacts, not with spells as we know them. Also, they rarely face each other, save at the very beginning and at the very end. The concept of duels, so firmly entrenched in the period of the Ice Age, got its start at least during the time of the Dark, as a means of solving disputes. Arkal, Argivian Scholar Seema balled her fist and stomped, her slender boots slapping against the stone floor. For three days, they had kept her confined to her room. Three days. Room, she snorted. More of a prison cell. It was larger than a course in the City of Shadows, and the slaves, she refused to think of anyone wearing a metal collar as merely a servant, were polite and prompt and brought her well-cooked meals, but there was no doubt about the fact that her quarters were intended as a cell. The door was magically barred to keep her from leaving, and the leaded windows had water silver within the molding, the same material the church used to keep mages imprisoned. Various vents in the walls were similarly lined with that material, and there were magical sigils around the frames. Behind the tapestries, the walls themselves were marked with runes, some of which Seema recognized, some of which were totally foreign to her. Someone had built this room with the express idea of keeping a mage at bay. That someone was likely the diminutive, gruff artificer, Barl. She disliked the short man at once. He was one of those officious types who organized everything and tolerated nothing that happened outside his narrow purview. There were enough of them at the city, and to find one here at the conclave was scarce consolation. Worst of all, these officious Barl types missed next to nothing. That was likely why she was kept in a mage-proof room until they figured out what to do with her. And your full name is, Barl had said, when he first sat opposite her. Muriel, she had replied. Muriel of, Barl had pressed. Just Muriel, she had said. Everyone is from somewhere, noted Barl, his brows pursuing. Most recently, I am out of Ged, said Seema. That city had a plague and cast out most of its foreigners. Then it's Muriel of Ged, said Barl. You were born there? No, said Seema. I am merely from there. The entire interview continued in that vein. Seema gave her answers partially, usually asking for clarification or questioning the nature of the question. In retrospect, Seema thought, that was probably a bad idea for passing herself off as a would-be student, but Barl's manners had bothered her to a great degree. She made no mention of Joda. She made no mention of the islands she came from. Instead, she was Muriel, a blue mage. Are colors important? She had asked, darkening the shorter man's mood further, on the run from the church, looking for a safe haven. Nothing else to declare. Thank you, she had said. Joda's mirror tucked into the folds of her blouse. Have you heard of the City of Shadows? asked Barl at one point. Seema had put her straight face on and said, What's that? A community of goat herders to the west, said the interviewer. They pretend they could cast spells. Seema labored to keep her face calm, but the artificer's voice still rankled. Goat herds? Scholars. Not like this lot of dilettantes and dabblers. She had heard the distant sounds of laughter and parting when the evening meal was brought to her, echoing down the labyrinthian corridors. 
these conclave mages had no discipline, no comprehension, no understanding of their world. They celebrated while the lights went out, one after another, in the world outside. She had not asked about Joda. She had said, Do you get many applicants? A few, said Barl. Any recently? asked Seema. A few, said Barl, in the exact same tone. Seema frowned slightly. Do all your applicants have to go through this tiresome process? Barl smiled a grim, knowing smile. No, yours is more tiresome than most. Then he was gone, and she was kept in her room, cell, and brought meals by servants, slaves, and asked if she needed anything for her studies while she waited, rotted. She asked for several weighty histories on the church and used them the proper feet up while she meditated. She did not cast spells. That would be too obvious, and this room laced with protective wards and runes. She did not take out Joda's mirror, save to put it under her pillow each night. She considered casting a spell on it to tell her if he was alive, but decided against it. Barl probably had this room rigged up eight ways to heaven with all manner of divination magic. She decided to wait them out. This was fairly easy, since the food was better than most places she had been for the past three months. But if it took much longer, she would have to start reading those church histories to keep from going mad. In the end, it took them three days to get around to her. There was a knock, not a tentative one of the serving slaves, but a confident one of one used to giving orders. Enter, snapped Seema, not turning away from the window. It looked out on more roofs and walls, and in the time she had been there, it had not shown a single person. Barl came in, officious, perfunctory, and short. I have good news, he said, acting as if the news was anything but good. Your petition has been accepted by the conclave, friend Muriel. He paused for effect. There is, of course, one more thing. Seema turned and raised an eyebrow at the artificer. We have a tradition of challenges here, said Barl, and you must survive this duel to win a place among us. He offered her a package. There was a ceremonial dress involved. I will wait outside. He was gone, and Seema shook her head. She wondered if he had come to dislike her as quickly as she detested him. She dressed. Barl had given her a package of long, blue robes, suitable for hiding all manner of weapons. She placed the mirror in a pocket directly over her breast. Thick-soled boots in the eastern style, heavier than she was used to, and a mask that looked vaguely animalistic, like a lion's face, painted with blue liqueur, and set with a black string around the edges and a rough mane. She shook her head at the stupidity, and put the mask on, then went out to present herself to the artificer. Barl led her down innumerable stairs to an oak door set with steel bands. He pulled a sword from a nearby rack and offered it to her. You might need this, he said. I don't think so, said Seema, almost laughing. Why would she take a weapon into a magical fight? And why would she trust one of their weapons, even if she did? Barl scowled more deeply and ushered her into a short hallway, closing the door behind her. She shrugged and slowly moved up the hallway. There was the sound of humanity at the far side of the hallway, beyond an open portcullis. The corridor opened onto a narrow stadium, one with damp earthen floors. As she entered, there was a cheer from the stands. The stands of the area were packed. They were filled to the brim with all manner of supposed mages and all manner of finery. There were black, shimmering robes, 
and red vests and incendiary shades, and brilliant white gowns and green armored figures. Many were wearing masks as well, though more ornate and less practical than hers. They cheered her entry as if she was a dancing bear that had happened on the scene. One particular peacock had a seat along one side of the arena dressed in black with a gold vest. Barl came down and sat alongside him. That would be the head mage. Seaman had always heard there was only one master of this community. She scanned the crowd. There was no sign of Joda. But then, he might not be invited to this challenge. Across from her, another figure, similarly dressed, appeared at the other end of the arena. This one was garbed in red robes, and his mask looked like a dragon's. A red mage, thought Seema. Excellent. She pawed through her mind for all manner of spells that were proof against red. Surely they meant this as a challenge, a test for her ability to deal with red's destructive magics. The peacock stood and raised both hands. Let the challenge begin, he cried, dropping them. The dragon and lion started pulling the mana into themselves. Joda read the transcript the morning after his hallway meeting with Marisol, and his stomach twisted as he read. It had recorded all of his words, of course, as they prepared the experiment. It had also recorded all of Marisol's tantrum and his muttered cursing after Joda left the room. Then it recorded something else entirely. A line of black letters read, Your experiment did not go well. That was followed by a line in red. When Marisol spoke, his letters were always in red. No, my experiment did not go well. The next line, a black one. Well, it was a first attempt, and he's relatively inexperienced. He failed, said the red line. Then a pause, and he failed. Joda read on. I thought I had him under my control, said one red line, among several that followed. I would no longer need if, said another red line. The boy would open the gateway to the dark lands, said a third line in crimson. Then I will offer the offending boy, the one who cast a spell, as a sacrifice, said another red line, in neat red letters. I might offer them that anyway. It continued in a similar vein through the rest of the third page. The last line was in black type, probably borrows, and said, You've achieved much without surgery, my lord mage. What had been Marisol's response to that? Joda wondered. The scarab had run out of paper there. What had they discussed, unrecorded afterward? Had they come to some conclusion about him? Had they decided to punish him for his failure? Challenge him to do better? Or to test his abilities and loyalties? Marisol wanted him to learn some new spells so he could compete in a duel. It is a matter of settling dispute, explained Barl, and it's similar to the challenge that you fought when you entered it. The Lord High Mage cannot settle his own disputes? asked Joda, then immediately regretted it. Quickly, he added, I mean, isn't it presumptuous of me to act in the Lord High Mage's stead? The chief artificer's face tensed for a moment, then relaxed. No, the disadvantage of being both the leader and the most powerful mage among equals is that no one wishes to contest you directly. The use of proxies is preferred, actually. You'll be facing a student of another powerful mage with whom Marisol had this disagreement. And this mage is, said Joda, if I may ask. You may, but you should not, said Barl. It might affect your ability to battle if you know you are inferior to the opponent. Similarly, if you're fighting a lesser opponent, you might get overconfident. Joda disagreed with the comment, 
but did not want to challenge Barl's judgment. Jodo also failed to ask Barl about Marshall's former teacher, and he didn't mention his possible solution to the problem of the gate spell. The entire setup smelled like a test to Joda, and Joda hates tests. Joda did not see Lord Marisol for the next three days, nor did he receive any notes of encouragement. Joda did not know how to read this. Did Marisol have confidence in him, or did he know about the recording scarab and the notes that Joda now possessed? A moment of panic blossomed in Joda's breath, and he had to rationally tamp it back down. Marisol could not know what Joda had read. If Marisol or Barl knew, they would have not left the papers there. Part of Joda wanted to believe that Marisol was merely angry and was making an irrational threat, though the transcript gave small clue if this was true or not. If so, then this was a test of his ability, and once it had been passed, he would be back in the Lord High Mage's good graces. Part of him wanted to flee Marisol and the council and Ith and the rest and go back to surviving on his own in the wilderness. Joda felt suspended between the two points, unable to decide. For the moment, he would do as Marisol asked and go from there. Later that day, Barl came and took Joda to a tutor, a white mage named Wode, who had been with the Conclave from nearly the beginning. Joda had seen him at dinner on occasion, but the ancient, bent wizard kept to himself. You're Marisol's new pup, said the wise and old man. His quarters were high in one tower, and Joda could understand why he did not get down too often for meals. His face seemed to be frozen in a perpetual frown. I'm supposed to teach you a few tricks for your upcoming duel. Show me what you know. Joda said, I can cast light and fire. I can make healing draws. I didn't say tell me, said the old man. Show me. So Joda showed him his spells, one after the other, the ones that he knew. Wode sat across from him on a footstool, legs crossed, and grunted. Not bad, he said. Do that yourself? Mostly, said Joda. I had a teacher. He's dead. Killed by the church. Occupational hazard, said the old man. Hope you don't care much about theory. We ain't got time for theory. He wants results. He always does. Very well. Here's the first spell you're going to learn. That day, they concentrated on a ward powered by white mana, which would protect one from the effects of spells based in blue, with a circle of protection that protected the user from being harmed by blue magic. Joda asked what the difference was. Wode held up a hand and ticked off the reasons with his fingers. A ward moves with you. The circle does it. Circle? You gotta keep pumping mana into but protects more. Wards keep you from being hit by blue spells. Slides right off you. And you could toss wards on others. Wode led through the motions, and Joda nodded and followed. Lunch was sent up, then dinner. Barl came to fetch him in the evening and escorted him to his quarters. What did you talk about? asked the artificer. We talked about magic, said Joda. Why? The shorter man made no response, but noted, Since you missed dinner, you should know that the Lord High Mage announced the upcoming duel. There was a great deal of interest among the other mages, and, I understand, some wagering. The next morning, Wold worked him through the circles and the wards and showed Joda how they could be expanded into other colors. He also worked with Joda's fire spells, giving him better control, allowing him to force more mana into them. 
Mainly from the mountains, was not Wode's forte, but he knew enough to give advice. He also showed Joda a spell by which one could bring down a blue spell by force of elemental power. Red and blue sparrows are called the elemental manners, said Wode. Red comes from the mountains and fire, blue from the waves and air. They are natural enemies. Will my opponent be a blue mage? asked Joda. Likely, said Wode. I haven't been told one way or the other. Friend Wode, asked Joda, who would disagree with the Lord High Mage so that this challenge would be necessary? No one would challenge Mersol directly, said the old man, a curious tone in his voice. Not and live. They told me I was going to fight to settle some argument between the Lord High Mage and someone else, said Joda. The old man harumped and said in a low voice, Well, if that's what you were told, that must be true then. Joda nodded, and Barl again met him at the end of the day. What did you talk about? asked the artificer. We talked about magic, said Joda. Why? Barl did not respond to the question. On the morning of the third day, Joda ran through various spells. Toward noon, he asked, Friend Woe, are you a prisoner here? Wode's eyes sharpened at him for a moment, then grew soft. Yes and no. Yes, I am. I am not allowed to leave. No, I don't have anywhere to go. He waved a hand over his tower study. And so, I remain. Do you know what Mer- what the Lord High Mage is up to? Joda tried to phrase the question as neutrally as he could. Woad shook his head. I gave up on that a long time ago. It ain't healthy to wonder when it comes to the Lord High Mage. Take that as a piece of free advice. I heard a rumor, said Joda. Something about Mersel keeping someone beneath the castle. Where did you hear that? asked the old mage, his face suddenly alive and angry. Joda backed away. I thought it gossip. Gossip? Huh, said Wode. You can tell Mersel's running boy that he won't get me that easily. Others have fallen for that trick and found themselves suddenly without spells, or wearing a servant's torque, or mysteriously gone in the middle of the night. I don't... started Joda. Don't give me your don'ts, said Wode. I see that he comes to fetch you each evening. Tell friend Barrow I know nothing about anything, and particularly nothing about anything that I shouldn't know about. And if you ain't working for Barrow, he paused here, and his eyes softened again. Then you best stop asking such questions. Am I clear? Joda nodded, and they ran through the spells a few more times. Then, Barl came to get him. As they went down the steps, Joda said, We talked about magic. Barl just nodded. Joda rested in the early afternoon, gathering his thoughts for battle. No, the duel. It was similar to what he had gone through before. Wode was afraid. One of the elder mages in the conclave, and he hid in the tower, definitely afraid. Afraid of Barl. Afraid of Mersel. Afraid because he knew about Ith beneath the castle and did nothing about it. Joda made his decision. After the duel, he would try to escape. Security or no, there were dangerous things afoot. Things no one talked about. Things about sacrificing Joda to the lords of the Darklands. 
Barl sent a servant for him after dinner, and they descended down familiar stairs. The servant left him with a ceremonial costume, which Joda donned. It was a set of brilliant red robes, topped with a smooth mask, that looked vaguely like a dragon. For the first time, Joda was thankful he did not have a mirror. He must have looked as ridiculous as he felt. Barl appeared and said, All is ready, friend Joda. Joda nodded, unsure if he could be heard clearly through the dragon mask. Barl's face was stiff, almost lifeless. Our Lord High Mage thinks very highly of you, friend Joda. He doesn't want you to feel that there is any pressure on you one way or another. No pressure, thought Joda, suddenly feeling very constrained by the mask. But he does want you warned, continued Barl. Your opponent has a reputation for not pulling punches. Indeed, your opponent has already killed a lesser mage in combat. The Lord High Mage wants you to know that. I want you to know that. Don't seek to spare him. Do your best. My best, thought Joda, as part of his mind echoed, killed a lesser mage. With that, Barl was gone, and at the far end of the tunnel, a cry went up from a hundred throats. Joda moved toward the sound, and he was back in the arena. This time, the stands were packed with hundreds of mages. He recognized Drusilla, and Lucan, and Sanlo, and some of the others. No sign of Shannon or Wode. Barl came down the steps and stood next to Marisol. Across from him was his opponent, dressed in blue and wearing a mask that looked like a lion. Probably feeling as foolish as I do, thought Joda. At least it was a blue mage. Joda had feared that the wards against blue mana were all a ruse to keep him busy. Lord High Mage Marisol, master of the conclave, and first among eagles, stood and raised both hands. Let the challenge begin, he cried, dropping the upraised arms. The dragon and lion started pulling the mana into themselves. Joda thought to come out fast and hard with the red magics that he had learned. Blue and red were natural enemies, Wode had stated, and he tugged at the memories of the mountains beyond the citadel. The red mana flickered in the base of his mind, briefly, then was immediately cast outward at his foe, across the arena floor, in the form of flaming daggers. The opponent was fast as well, raising his hands and weaving a tight tangle with his long fingers. The red fire knives evaporated before they were even halfway across the stadium. There were boos from the crowd. Joda took two steps forward, and the ground seemed to heave beneath him. His stomach dropped, and the bile rose in the back of his throat. He had not felt this bad since the last night he spent in Ged, before he joined the army. Blue magic was responsible there as well. Joda dropped to one knee, and the spell seemed to intensify, attacking his ears and increasing the pressure at the base of his eyes. He groped through his mental manner and found the spell to cut the energy powering the opponent's spell. With little more than a few bits of mana, he spot the spell from his mind, mentally willing it back from the conduit by which it came. There was a soft, puffing noise, and the blue mage staggered back a pace. Joda took advantage of the pause and scrapped an arc in front of him with his toe, digging into the soft earth while mentally pulling one of Wode's spells to him. The arc flickered with white, then blue, then white radiance, and flared up all around him. He had completed the circle of protection just in time, for a new attack blazed over him from his opponent. Something blue and fluid smashed into the circle, spiring against it like waves against a breakwater reef. As the attack faded, Joda was prepared. He tried fire again, this time hoping that his opponent 
would be worn out by the attack. A set of fire daggers arced over the length of the arena. They struck his opponent in the chest, staggering him, but the opponent did not fall. Instead, the flaming daggers of red mana entered his opponent's robes and were flung back at their caster. Dota dodged one, but another caught him in the arm. Cursing back the pain, he dropped to one knee. There were more boos and catcalls from the gallery now. These were his fellow mages, thought Joda, with whom he supped each day. Now they jeered him. He felt anger blossom in his heart, and with it, the knowledge that raw anger did not itself provide the power to win. Now, there were more blue blazes of light against his shield. His opponent had to know there was no getting through the circle of protection. Then Joda realized. His opponent was intent on exhausting his memories. The more he cast, the more he pulled from his own memories of the land. Eventually, Joda would reach the bottom and be defenseless. Joda slowly rose and regarded his foe. His opponent had apparently thought Joda was beaten and now stomped his foot in frustration. Joda pulled the red mana from his mind to ready another set of fire knives. As he did, he simultaneously launched one of his light balls in the blue mage's face. Only after he did both of these things did he recognize where he had seen that little stomp before. A small stomp, usually accompanied by a bald fist of irritation at Joda. Joda cursed himself for not recognizing her with the casting of her first spell. By that time, it was too late. His opponent raised her hands to counter the light spell and could not prevent the red flame daggers from slamming into her. She screamed and went down, dark stains appearing on her robes. The crowd cheered at the apparent victory, but Joda was already halfway to his fallen foe. Marisol shouted something, and Barl as well, but Joda paid no attention to either of them. He ripped off the lion mask, and Seema's battered face was below. She had a massive welt across her forehead, and blood trickled down from the corner of her mouth. She tried to say something, but blood merely bubbled between her lips. The other mages in attendance were shouting Joda's name, but he was consumed by the sight of Seema. For a moment, his mind blinked, and he looked up and back at Marisol and Barl. Barl was a stone statue. Marisol was smiling, broadly. Neither one moved from their position. Joda turned back and reached into his mind. There was little there in the matter of memories of the land, but he pulled that little bit and fanned it like a flame trying to make one of Mother Dobbs' potions. Without the potion, of course. He took the raw energy and pushed it into Seema's body. Seema shook for a moment, but the bubbling bleeding stopped. Another moment, and her eyes fluttered open. Joda looked back, and Barl had turned away, and he was motioned for some mages to get down on the arena floor. Marisol was no longer smiling. He was raising a gem to Juan in one hand, aiming it at Joda and Seema. Then, the entire arena shook, and the crowd was knocked to its knees. There were screams and shouts, and whatever Marisol had planned was lost for the moment. At first, Joda thought Marisol was responsible for this, but the Lord High Mage seemed as confused as everyone else, gripping the side of the railing and shouting at Barl. There was another tremor, this one accompanied by thunder, and bits of ceiling started to fall around them. Some mages responded with spells, opening them like umbrellas above their own heads. Others panicked, and still, others were trampled in the attempts to leave the arena. Joda hunched over Seema. Her eyes were open now, and her breathing, though ragged, was strong. She spat blood and said muddily, It's about time you got here, Joda of Diva Province. I am here to rescue you.